Radio. Sexual desire, a longing for God. A talk by Simon Carrington, given at the Restore Weekend in Hobart, Tasmania. Thank you very much, Jamil. Awesome. How are we feeling this morning? We're all back for more. This is good. So hands up if you if you're here for the first time. It didn't come last night. Okay, awesome. Okay, welcome. Um, okay, we'll start with a short prayer again, um, and then we'll, we'll jump straight into it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created and you share anew the face of the earth. St. John Paul the Great, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Awesome. Okay. So, um, just for those of you that weren't here last night, you, d- you don't need to have heard last night's talk for today to make sense, which is good for you to know. Okay. So, we're, we're going to jump into a little bit more, um, some more themes from St. John Paul II and his uh, th- theology of the body. And I want to start by... Um, I want to I want to ask you all today, especially through this next you know forty five minutes or so. I want to give you permission to look at the the yearnings and longings of your heart, those deepest desires that we don't normally give ourselves um, permission to to dwell on or think about. Why why do why are we sometimes so terrified of the, of the deepest desires of our heart? Because sometimes if we don't hope. If we don't long for something better, we convince ourselves, well, maybe I'll reduce my chance of getting hurt. Because if I don't desire, I can't have my yearnings crushed. So I just stay empty, flat. I don't desire anything. But I want to encourage you to be brave this next hour and bring those deepest desires to the surface, the ones that we may unconsciously or consciously try and snuff out or stuff down to avoid getting hurt. I'll start by saying we've all got hungry hearts as human beings. We all do desire perfect fulfillment, perfect love, um, ecstasy, communion, all these beautiful things, some of which we spoke about last night. But we all yearn for these things. And I like to call this the ache of unfulfillment, right? We all have a desire, okay, for perfect happiness. And not just for, well, what does perfect happiness mean? It means that it's never going to end either, right? We don't, we don't want a high point to ever end, okay? My older brother got married four weeks ago. It was a great day, you know, awesome wedding, you know, I, I, I was the best man and I was just, I, I, I did a dance at the start and it was just awesome, right? <laughs> it was so good. And what, what was the one thing that like everyone on the night was saying? Oh, I don't want it to end, Oh, the day went too quick, right? We don't want these awesome high points of our lives to end. And when they do, it's like, oh, you know, it seems like everything good has to come back down. But we all, we all desire this. Has anyone ever experienced where you might be out with your friends, you might with the sisters up, up, up at midnight, right, partying, you know, <laughs> right? And, you know, you're, you're singing and you're dancing and you're laughing and then out of nowhere, you just get struck with this emptiness, it's like, oh, it's not enough. Has anyone experienced that? You're at a high point. It's just like, oh, this is great, but it's not enough. There's something just, you know, I'm not, it's not filling me up all the way, okay? I have these all the time. It's almost like I get a reminder every single day at some point in my day that I was made for eternity. I could be in the shower and it's like emptiness, Having breakfast, oh, emptiness, I need more, I was made for more. And sometimes we just we, we get scared of this desire, but I actually think this desire, okay, if the, the next time you experience that or sense that, press into that because that's God speaking to you. God speaking to you in a very profound way. The ancient philosophers called this ache of unfulfillment eros, E-R-O-S, right? And Eros, the ancient philosophers said, was the, the desire within every human person that seeks that which is good, true, and beautiful. 
right? That in us that seeks what is good, true, and beautiful. And there's this yearning, this yearning for something bigger and better than what we are and that what we already possess. And I want to propose that these that these desires that we have are part of our of of our design. Okay, because um, not one of us put these desires there. Okay, someone we know, God, who created us first, God who created us, designed us with these desires because they have been put there by him to point us to our ultimate end. Okay, the way we've been designed with our desires and this ache of unfulfillment is not there by accident. God put this there intentionally and he wanted this ache of unfulfillment to ultimately point us back to himself. I love this quote from the Catechism, paragraph 27. The desire for God is written on the human heart and only in God will he find the truth and happiness he never stops searching for. I love that quote, right? It's almost like God created Alice, okay, with a God-sized hole in her heart. Okay, you have an infinite hole in your heart that no human being will ever fill. Okay, because if you've got an infinite hole in your heart, it requires an infinite lover to satisfy that ache. And sadly, many of us experience this infinite ache for love, okay, and intimacy, but we try and fill it with finite things, okay, with a relationship, with... um, with you know different highs in in life, it could it could turn it could turn to drugs or alcohol to try and satisfy this deep ache for more, but we can't seem to find it. Whenever we try and fill an, an infinite hole with a finite reality, we will always fall short. We will always be left empty and sometimes miserable and bitter and angry because we can't seem to find the fulfillment. But God designed us with this God-sized hole in our heart, okay? Because when he made you, when he, when he designed you and me, he created a home for himself in you. I love that, right? It's like when he designed you, he created a space for himself in you and he, and he yearns for you to welcome him into that space. Okay, one of the first things that I that I that I said uh, to Madeline, um, and she said to me straight back. I said, you know, it's I think it's important that we should know that we're never ever going to satisfy each other. You know, you you will never ever satisfy me fully. Why? Because you're a finite. You know, you're a beautiful person, but you're a finite person, and I'm never going to satisfy you either. So as long as we understand that, okay, it helps us to take the pressure off each other, being each other's ultimate fulfillment which I think is one of the biggest struggles today in, in relationships and in dating is that we think that the boyfriend or the girlfriend that we're going to have is going to satisfy that, that ache, the ache of unfulfillment. And what happens when we realize they're not our be-all and end-all? What happens when we realize, oh, I wake up, you know, I've been, I've been in a, this awesome relationship for a month, but I'm still, I still have bad days or he hurts me or she upsets me or he doesn't understand me or whatever it may be. We start to blame them. Well, you know what? It's your fault that you're not filling this gap in my heart, so you must be the problem. And we can get angry or, 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 or miserable or bitter at the person we love. But what we're doing is we're trying to fill an infinite gap with a finite reality, and that will never, ever happen. But why did God create this space in our hearts for himself in this way? It's because God understands that love must be free. He cannot force us to love him. So he he designed us with certain desires that he hopes we're going to follow so we will pursue him, that we will follow the, the desires of our heart and seek him out for a relationship and in love. Because God knows that he, he couldn't hardwire us to say, right, he's, he or she is going to worship whether he, he or she likes it or not. But he invites us by hoping we will listen to the ache of unfulfillment that we all have in our hearts. So Jesus became flesh, the word became flesh to reveal God's innermost secret, that he is an eternal exchange of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that he, 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 he has destined us to share in that exchange. 
What does this mean? This means that we have spousal desires, right? The the and we've got to clarify. We've got to um, understand it. If eros is the desire within us which seeks that which is good, true, and beautiful, okay? Then then um, our erotic desires are not bad things. Right, the word erotic has been totally twisted in our culture. We think erotic is like hardcore pornography or something dirty or illicit or wrong. Our God is the ultimate fulfillment of our deepest erotic desires. Does that make sense? He's the, he's the ultimate fulfillment of all of our erotic desires. And our erotic desires have a spousal meaning because God wants to marry you. God hopes that if you respond to this call, to your desire, okay, the ultimate end of these desires is marriage with him in heaven. All right, I, love, I love how Christopher West says, you can sum up the Bible in five words. God wants to marry you. Okay, the Bible is a love story. We, we all have these desires for love and to be with him and, and our desires have a spousal meaning. Now, because we have bodies, right, and we're, we're material beings, okay, we have senses and we need to use our senses to understand things. To help us understand that our deep erotic desires have a spousal meaning, he created us male and female. And he stamped this ache of unfulfillment into our bodies as male and female. Okay, and he called us to become one flesh in, in, in our difference of being made male and females. Male and female. So now, not only do are our are our do our desires have a spousal meaning, okay, our bodies speak a spousal language. We have been called to become one flesh with the opposite sex. And we see this stamped in our bodies. We see it revealed in, 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 in our, our sexual organs, yeah? And we experience now this, this erotic desire now becomes not just a, a vertical desire for marriage with God. Now it takes on a horizontal meaning. We experience erotic sexual desire between us and another human being and through entering into the mystery of this spousal communion with with another person, it helps us to launch into the vertical relationship with God because we understand and learn and experience the ache of unfulfillment as well in our relationships. And then this propels us to the vertical to be with God also. Now listen to this. Pope Benedict XVI said this, right? He said that sexual union is a glimpse of everything we seek. Pope Benedict. Sexual union is a glimpse of everything we seek. Why? Because it's the fulfillment of our sexual erotic desires, which reveals marriage, and that's what we were all made for. We will never be happy with anything less than marriage with God because that's how we were designed. That's how we were made. So our erotic desire now becomes sexual desire and we seek erotic fulfillment through the body which helps us enter further up and further into the marriage or the union with God. So I like to explain sexual union and our sexual desire as like um, a sign on the side of the road that says that there's, there's McDonald's in two kilometres, Right? It's a sign. Abby's looking at me going, what are you talking about, right? <laughs> the sign, okay, there's a sign, okay, if you're starving, right, sister, if you're starving for a Big Mac, right? <laughs> and a quarter pounder, okay. <laughs> okay, sister wants a quarter pounder. She's going she's gonna to do a late night run at midnight, right, to Macca's. And the sisters are all together and they see a sign that says Macca's in two kilometres. Imagine if sister's like, Oh my gosh, it's here. And they pull over and they jump out and they're, and they're sitting around the sign that says Macca's in two kilometres, wondering why she can't get a quarter pounder. Okay? What's, what's the problem here? And I think this is what our culture, this is what our culture has done to sexual intimacy. God created us male and female and our sexual desire and called us to become one flesh to be an icon 
or a sign pointing us to the ultimate heavenly reality, which is marriage with him. Okay? The sign that says Maccas in two kilometers is like our sexual desire and sexual union. Okay? It is a sign that says, sister, you're going the right way, but you're not there yet. Keep going. Right, you're going the right way. Our, 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 our creation as male and female is an affirmation that if we're experiencing sexual desire for another person, we're going the right way, but we haven't reached the ultimate fulfillment of erotic desire. Does that make sense? It's, it's an affirmation. It's like, yes, your desires are good, but keep going. You're not there yet. A serious error occurs, okay, when we believe that the sign or the icon of the of the um, the fulfillment of our desires is the fulfillment of our desires why is it that so many people are incredibly unhappy in their relationships incredibly discontent in their marriages because they worship sex as the idol they've made their spouse and their sexual relationship, the be-all and end-all. And they're stopping at the sign. Sister, how long are you going to be trying to eat a sign that says McDonald's in two kilometers, <laughs> waiting for it to taste like a quarter pounder, before you start getting really angry with the sign? Silly example, but I hope this makes sense, right? Because I can tell you, I spent seven years, okay, being very angry with the sign that says Maccas in two kilometres, wondering why all the pornography and the masturbation and the personal sexual sin was not satisfying my deepest desires for love. And then I started to get really, really angry, not just with God, but with my sexuality itself. I hated my sexuality. I saw it as like something that would just tease me, but never fulfil so I hated it because it was like it promised everything but gave nothing, yeah? And I would try and consume as much of it as I possibly could, but it just never seemed to fulfill me. The ache of unfulfillment was just widened and deepened after every sexual experience that I engaged in, right? So this is the problem. Our culture worships sex. It idolizes sex because it stops there and it doesn't let it propel us into the ultimate reality that our desires were made for and that was marriage and union with God. Okay, so our sexuality was always meant to be a sign. So our, our culture's obsession with sex is the human desire for heaven gone berserk. Our culture's obsession with sex is the human desire for heaven gone berserk. So, very quickly to tell you a bit about my story is that, um, and this is to, to use uh, what, what Christopher West, how he explains it, I was raised on what he would call the, the starvation diet gospel. I was raised on the idea that, um, you know what, just you've you got to be a good person, okay, so crush and annihilate all your sexual desires, pretend they're not there, just wait till you get married and then, mate, go for it. But don't talk about it now. Don't think about sex. Don't joke about it. Don't listen to anything about it on the radio. Just totally repress it. Pretend you don't have these desires. And then when you're married, you can go for it. Right? So I spent, after I became aware of my sexual desires and, and started experiencing this desire for a relationship, I, um, I, I would repress the desire and crush the desire and pretend it wasn't there and convince myself I wasn't feeling it. And I felt like I felt like I was keeping the lid on a boiling pot, just praying it wouldn't explode. Like just just keep this together until you get married. Keep it together until you get married. And when you get married, mums, I'm, I'm I'm just going to let it all all out. But this didn't work. I was very very empty, very miserable, very angry with God, wondering why would you give me all these desires if you didn't want me to live them out. And I remember I went to visit a family friend of mine and I went to use the bathroom and on the bathroom sink, there was a stash of um, pornographic magazines. And I can still remember the image on the front of the first magazine that I saw. And I remember I, I looked through this magazine, I was about 17 years old, and I remember 
just that that rush that the that rush of excitement and adrenaline and curiosity and but above all I remember feeling this is the answer to my longings this is the answer to my desires this is what I've been waiting for all this time that I've been I've been trying to repress and so that day I took the lid off that pot and I said bugger it I'm not going to follow the church's teaching on this anymore God does not understand me God doesn't understand what I need Right, And I launched into, and I briefly shared this last night, but I launched into a very, um, a very serious porn addiction which lasted about six years. And um, I was viewing as much pornography as I possibly could, uh, watching very, very hardcore pornography very, very quickly. Um, it was affecting my job. It was affecting uh, my eating patterns, my sleeping patterns. I could not function without it. I, I became a very, um, a very serious slave to my porn addiction. And what I noticed was that there, Christopher West would say, I converted from the starvation diet to the fast food gospel. The fast food gospel is where we say, right, even though this fast food is not good for me, you know, it tastes good going down. I feel a little bit sick after it sometimes, but I'm so hungry, I'm just prepared to break the rules now. I've had enough of starvation, okay? If I, if I offered you two options, you can starve or you can just eat McDonald's every day, what, what, what are you going to take? Obviously, you're going to take, take McDonald's. Even though, okay, what was that, uh, that, that series, um, Super Size Me? The guy ate Maccas for 30 days in a row and he was literally dying. He was literally shutting down, okay? But if the only options are fast food or starvation, we're all going for Maccas, right? And so I spent six years just eating fast food and I began to get very, very sick, very, very sick. I could feel I was more empty than I ever was when I was living from the starvation diet gospel. Why? Because when I was starving, okay, I was trying to ignore the fact that I had desires. But when I converted to the fast food gospel, I was acknowledging I'm starving. I'm really, really hungry. And I need as much of this food as I can possibly get because I'm acknowledging now, I'm sick of pretending I'm not hungry anymore, I'm starving. But when you're starving and you're eating as much food as you can possibly take and you're still hungry, it starts to send you even more nuts than when you were pretending that you weren't hungry at all. Okay? So for me, that's when I realize something's really wrong. I've I've been a stoic I've been someone that just just repressed desire and repressed feeling. I've also been an addict where I've just indulged as much as I possibly could and neither of them led to authentic happiness. Neither of them led to to authentic sexual freedom. Then I encountered Pope John Paul II's um, Theology of the Body and really he showed me that there is a third way. There is a third way to deal with this. Okay, and it was about not trying to pretend that you're not hungry or that you're just starving and you're going to go to the fast food. He showed me that a true mystic, a true mystic, and I'm not talking about the, you don't have to be kind of floating while you're praying, right? But true mysticism when it comes to sexuality is someone that understands that their sexual desire is a good and holy gift from God and that our sexuality is not bad, it is in fact, in, in fact very sacred and very holy. And when we acknowledge that, okay, that frees us from fearing our sexuality. Okay, it's just this beast that's going to drag us to hell, right? And it frees us to order all of our deep erotic sexual desires towards authentic love, towards and through and in whatever vocation we're being called to. And we're going to discuss that a little bit later. Okay? But really, God was inviting me, okay, to a feast, to a wedding feast. He was saying, no, 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 I'm giving you these desires and I want to satisfy these desires. Okay, but 
these these rules that I was giving you, that they weren't to restrict your freedom or to restrict your your happiness. They were to free you to love in a way that is authentic and that is truly going to make you happy. If you would just follow my plan for sexuality, you'll be truly happy. And of course, I was really resistant to this idea. I was like, well, I feel like I've tried all there is to try. I've tried pretending I wasn't hungry and I've tried being starving. What's the alternative? Okay. But this really led me on a very, a, a very long and very, very hard journey of, of um, purification of my sexual, sexuality and, and my sexual desires. First, I had to learn that my desires were a good thing. Okay, in um, John chapter 1, verse 38, okay, the, the first disciples, they meet Jesus. What's the first thing that he says in John's gospel? He says, what do you seek? Right? And they say, Rabbi, where are you staying? And he says, come and see. He, he didn't just want to tell them, okay, where he was staying. It's almost like he wanted to grab them by the hand and show them through their senses, See where I'm staying. Touch where I'm staying. Let me walk you to where I'm staying, right? And for me, when I kind of first read that, I was like, I've got all these questions and desires, and Jesus actually wants to walk this journey with me through my sexual purification so that he can bring me to a lasting love, to an authentic love, to, an, to, a, to a vocation that's going to lead to happiness. Jesus is with me on this, on this journey of, of, of desire and, and purification. Then in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, he says, Happy are those who hunger and thirst, for they shall be satisfied. Okay, and if we apply that to our sexual desires, what's he doing? Jesus is affirming our desires. He's saying, happy are those who, are, who hunger and thirst. What's he saying? It's good to be hungry. It's good to be thirsty. You don't have to pretend you're not hungry or that you don't have these desires. When you acknowledge that you're thirsty, you're going to ask me for a drink and then I'm going to show you where to get a drink. When you acknowledge you're hungry, ask me and I'll show you where to get a food that will truly satisfy you. Okay? So really, I learned that Christianity is not against sexual desire. Okay, Pope John Paul II wrote volumes and volumes and volumes on sexuality. The Catholic Church is not against sexuality or, or desire. It's in fact the one institution that truly affirms okay, being able to experience authentic desire which will lead to a banquet that will satisfy. So, I'm going to change gears here quickly, right? for the second part of this talk. How do we actually order okay, our sexual desires in a way that doesn't lead to sin and leads to authentic fulfillment? Okay, Because let's, let's be real, it's sometimes very, very confusing to know what to do when you're experiencing a strong um, sexual desire. Okay, When you're feeling tempted, what do you do? There are so many ways, okay, that we can send that desire or ignore that desire that doesn't lead to ultimate fulfillment. But I want to share a little bit about just through my story how I, um, and I'm by no means perfect, but certainly ways that are really helping me, okay, pursue that, 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 that mysticism that Christopher West is talking about. And again, to be a mystic simply means you understand that desire is good, and that sex is an icon, not an idol. That's all mysticism is. And it's only the mystic that can truly appreciate sexual union for what it is. All right? And we'll talk about that now. So how do we order our sexual desires in a way that will lead to true fulfillment? Well, firstly, as I don't do what I did, okay, don't be a stoic and don't pretend that your desire does not exist. Why? Because when we, we reject sexual desire, we are rejecting the very gift from God that was aimed to point us to himself. It's really, it is really a slap in the face to God and the way that he designed us. We must never reject or hate our desires. Our desires are a beautiful, good thing. 
Secondly, we, we must not become addicts who indulge in desire. Because what happens here? Here, this is where we bow down and worship sex as a god. This is where we idolize sexual desire and idolize sexual union as the be-all and end-all. And that's also not, not what God wants us to do. This will never satisfy because we're trying to fill an infinite hole with a finite reality. So what do we do? What does a mystic do? When we experience okay, sexual desire, the first thing to do is don't do what I used to do and panic and try very, very hard to just resist the temptation, right? I used to just panic and go, well, I'm in shutdown mode, I just don't think about it, don't think about it, go for a run, go to the gym, right? Just, you know, and I'm sorry, but I've heard that advice way too many times in confession. It does not work. Because what happens when you get back from the gym? Still there. What happens after the run? It's still there. So what do we actually do? Um, I've actually shared this with priests in confession. I was like, Father, that really doesn't work. Please don't say that. Right? Um, it's like, anyway, so what we, what we need to do is we need to step back, okay, and actually sit with that desire. Don't call it a temptation because it's not a temptation yet, right? Sit with the desire. What am I actually experiencing right now? And the first thing we should do Okay, you might be saying, Simon, I don't really have this much time, right, when I'm feeling this. But this is the whole point. Slow down, step back, press into the desire. What is it? What is this desire saying to me? What language is it speaking? The first thing it's speaking is remind yourself through this desire, okay, this is my, this is the, the way God has designed me to remind me that I was made for love, I was made for communion and ecstasy, for perfect happiness. And this desire, okay, this, this erotic desire I'm experiencing right now is a reminder that this is what I was made for. I was made for marriage. I was made for perfect love. Once we, once we affirm that desire, watch what happens. Sexual freedom begins begins to exist now because I've affirmed the desire. We spoke a bit about love and lust last night, okay? Just for quickly for those of you that weren't here, okay? Love is total self-giving where we see others as a gift to be loved. Lust is when we use another person for our own sexual pleasure, okay? We don't see them as a gift to be loved but as an object to be used and, and um, manipulated for our own pleasure, so once we've affirmed that desire, we then have a choice. How am I going to use this desire? I can either send it down the direction of lust and I can use this beautiful desire okay, that is reminding me of my call to heaven. I can see it as just a short-term form of, of satisfaction for this desire. okay, Or I can order it towards love Okay, and in, and in whatever context we're experiencing that erotic sexual desire, okay, we order that desire towards love. And we'll give you some examples, right? Every time I fill up my car for petrol, I go into a service station and I see um, pornographic magazines in every service station I go into. So I see, I see a woman on the front of this magazine, okay, I, I've straight away and it hits me, okay, just so for the guys in the room, right, the second, I don't know about women, okay, but the second a guy sees, okay, um, a, a woman like dressed like that, okay, or undressed like that, okay, in, in about a third of a second, chemical hormones, okay, have been released in our brain that, that sends a surge of testosterone through our whole body, our pupils dilate, our muscle tone changes, our blood pressure goes up, and our heart rate increases all in the space of a third of a second. Okay? That's for men. Don't know about women. Okay? When I heard that, I felt a lot better about myself. Right? But I, I, so I see this image. Within a third of a second, I'm, I've already, I'm experiencing sexual arousal. Okay? I have a choice. Okay? In this, in this, in this moment of arousal, okay, yes, I have erotic sexual desires. What do they mean? It's a reminder I'm called to love. 
So what is the loving thing to do in that situation? The loving thing to do, okay, is to choose not to use that woman as an object of my own pleasure. And in, in this case, the loving thing to do would be to guard my eyes and to refrain from using that woman for my own sexual pleasure. Okay? Same thing again. If I see a woman walking down the street, okay, that I'm not, I'm not in a relationship with at all, okay? I just see a random woman walking down the street and I experience this, this desire. She, she's a beautiful woman, okay? The first thing I should do is affirm the desire. I was made to love. Secondly, thank God for the beauty of his creation, Okay, that's also a really freeing thing to be able to do that, right? To actually say, God, thank you for the gift of that beautiful woman. And because she's beautiful, I'm going to love her. I'm going to love her. And what is, because the context of our relationship is, we're strangers, right? The way I can love her, okay, is to thank God for creating her as beautifully as he has and to refrain from lusting or using her in my mind or heart. Okay, now... What if I am, and I, I like being real, okay? I just like being vulnerable, okay? Because I, I, I trust you already. I feel like we know each other so well now, right? <laughs> if I'm on the lounge with Madeline, watching TV, very different. Oh, everyone's like, oh, okay, where's this going, right? Very, very different scenario. I love her. She's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen, the most beautiful woman I've ever known, Okay? And we're watching TV on the lounge and I experience strong sexual erotic desires for Madeline. The first thing to do is what? Thank God for the gift of desire. I was made to love. Awesome. The second thing to do, God, thank you for the gift of of my fiance. She's the most beautiful woman I've, I've ever met and ever seen. Okay? And then I'm called to love her. So this gets a bit more exciting, right? What is the context of our relationship and how can I love her in regards, with regard to my sexuality? Well, we're unmarried. Okay. I have not professed wedding vows to her. So I have no right to profess those vows with my body. Okay. I also have an obligation to guard her purity. I think this is really important. Okay. That the person you are in a relationship with you have the greatest ability to harm their purity. No one can damage or manipulate the purity of the person you're in a relationship with like you can. Okay? So above all, I must guard, okay, I must guard Madeline's purity above all from myself first. Okay? And so because we're unmarried, okay, I, I, I cannot, we cannot give ourselves totally in, in, in the sexual act. Okay? Also, because, because arousal, sexual arousal, okay, is, is the way God designed our bodies to prepare us for the sexual act, we must also refrain from anything like intimate touching or passionate kissing that would lead to sexual arousal, which is preparing the body for the sexual act. Okay? Again, this is all out of love. It's all out of love. Okay? So how can I love her? Okay, how do I love her in that moment? I love her, okay, through healthy, through healthy physical affection. A hug, holding hands, a simple kiss, okay? Um, giving her a giving her a shoulder rub, right? Simple things like this, which communicate love and affection and intimacy, okay? But we know, okay, we we must this in the context of our love. This is, this is in our relationship, sorry. This is how we are called to love each other in this moment. And what's beautiful is that how you love a person in a relationship is always evolving. Right? It's always evolving. The way I loved her on our first date was different than I love her now. How I'm going to love her in three months' time as a married, as, as her husband, is going to be different. How I love her after, um, please God, we have children, will be different. It's always evolving. It's always changing. And that's why our sexuality is in need of constant discernment. We must always discern our next thought, our next action, always. And it becomes a habit. Okay, it becomes a habit the more we spend time discerning that. Does that example help? Yeah? 
Okay, so we must affirm desire, though. That's the first thing. We have to do that. Then thank God for the creation of the person and then ask yourself, how can I love this person in whatever the context of that relationship is? So how do we get here, right? How do we get to the point where we're actually able to do that? And I'm still on a journey as well, absolutely. How do we get to this point where we can say, you know, we're, we're, we're pursuing this, this mysticism that Christopher West is talking about? First of all, it requires transformation of desire through vulnerable prayer. Ask the sisters about this one, right? Through vulnerable prayer. This means having the humility to say, Lord, okay, through original sin, and through my weakness and through maybe the way I was raised and through the wounds I've got, and we've all got different wounds, have the courage to say, Lord, I am a broken, wounded person. My sexual desires are twisted and they are, they are, they are disordered. And I find very often they're ordered towards lust and not to love. Lord, open me up. Please untwist Okay, what sin and the devil have twisted in me because I want to be able to order my sexual desires, my erotic desires towards the fulfillment of your plan for sexuality. Help me do that. Over and over and over again, I would spend holy hour after holy hour just asking God, please heal these wounds. Heal all the pornographic images I've got in my mind. Heal all the lust and, and the habit of being a, 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 um, a sexually vicious person um, from my life. We've got to be vulnerable. We've got to be able, This is re- and this is important for love in general. Okay, hear me correctly, right? But we've got to be, a- we've got to be able to be naked before God. We have to we have to be have the confidence that God loves me just as I am in my woundedness and in my sinfulness and weakness and brokenness. He loves me just as I am, but we've got to trust that He loves us too much to leave us where we are. So He's always going to be constantly encouraging us to pursue a higher level of sanctity and holiness all the time. But we've got to be brave enough to open ourselves up first. Okay, if I've got an infected right arm and I go in and see my local GP and I'm wearing a, I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt, okay, and he says, you know, how, how, and maybe, I've, maybe I was forced to go for a checkup, right? And I don't want to show my doctor that my arm's been infected for weeks and months and maybe even years. And I think if he just doesn't see it, I'll be okay. It's going to be too painful, too humiliating, too shameful to let him see what I've let grow on this arm. You know, I'm fine, doctor. Look at this arm. It's all good. I'm, I'm, I'm perfect. I've got it all together. I'm a really healthy person. I'm good. Right? It's like this is what we're tempted to do with our sexuality sometimes. It's like, you know, I can't pray if I'm not in the state of grace. Or I, I, I can't pray if I looked at porn in the last week. Or I, I can't pray because I've, I hooked up with someone last week. We've got to get rid of all that. We've got to be able to say, Lord, this, this is the infection. It's pretty bad. I'm really struggling with lust. I really need you to begin the healing process. And you know, an infected arm is going to hurt to fix. Okay, there's going to be treatment. It's going to be embarrassing. But if we allow God, who is the um, divine GP, right? He's our divine doctor. If we let him heal us, okay, it will be painful and long and difficult, but we will come through in the end. And it's always a process. So let God love you in your woundedness. And once this transformation process really starts to take shape, okay, we will see that the goal of purity, okay, is not asexuality. It's not to not desire any sexual union. It's not to have, you know, it's not to have no erotic desires at all. Okay, the goal of purity, okay, is to have a burning hot erotic desire for love and intimacy. Burning hot. Okay, because it's purified, it's strong, and then we order that strong sexual erotic desire towards authentic love. Okay? The sisters, the sisters here, okay, they have a raging, hot, erotic desire for God. Yes? It 
how weird does that sound? They are absolutely on fire. They are so in tune with their desire and they are pursuing their lover with everything they have right now on earth. These, are, these women are in love, right? They're in love more than probably all of us, right? They are absolutely madly in love with, with God, okay? And they are, they are ordering, okay, a burning, a burning hot, erotic, pure desire, okay, for a relationship with God now. And this, this is the key that unlocks true sexual freedom, okay? The true sexual freedom that we all desire is to affirm desire, to thank God for it, and be free from lust so we can order that strong, erotic, burning desire for love towards authentic love. Okay, so very, very quickly, I've got five minutes left. Very quickly, this will pan out slightly differently for all of us now in our various vocations. Okay? Um, if you feel, okay, if you feel you're, you're called to the um, consecrated, um, like, um, consecrated religious life as a single or as a married person, or you know, and, or you could be just you could be single and still discerning, you know, whether you're called to consecrated life or to the married the married vocation. How how should we live out our lives um, talking about sexual desire in this way? Firstly, if you're single and you're still discerning discerning your vocation, ultimately, while you're discerning your vocation, you should be pursuing. With all you've got, God in a courtship. Okay, you should be courting God. He is your your number one lover. All of your energy should be going towards loving Him, because I think it's um I think it was Saint, Saint uh, Therese. She said, above all, we all have a vocation to love. And someone told me this a few years ago that really helped my discernment process. He said to me, rather than discerning am I called to the priesthood or religious life or to the married life, ask God, Lord, how are you calling me to love? Because once we discover how am I called to love, then he will show you in what way he's calling you to love. Are you, will you love best as a priest? Will you love best as a, as a wife and mother? Will you love best as a, as a sister or, or a religious brother? But above all, our vocation is first love. And then we can worry about whether we're called to the married life or to celibacy. So above all, as a single, we are pursuing okay, a mystical relationship with God who is our ultimate lover. Now, what if, what if you're hoping that you're, um, you're called to marriage and you're in a relationship with someone now? Okay, how, how are we meant to um, order our sexual erotic desires here? If we're called to marriage, God remains, okay, the source of love and the lover that you pursue above all things. That never changes. And in fact, it is when we pursue God above all things, who is love, he teaches us how to love our girlfriend, our boyfriend, our fiance, our spouse. Our spouse is always secondary, always secondary because when we put God first we realize and this is a this has been very helpful in our relationship as well we realize first of all God is the solution to the infinite ache of unfulfillment I have in my heart and he will quench my thirst he will satisfy my hunger my fiance or my spouse can never satisfy in the way that God can but he gives me the grace and the strength and the love to be able to love her as best as I possibly can. And I love Christ through her. She is an image of Christ to me and I am called to be an image of Christ to her. So we love God primarily, okay? And we also secondarily love him through our spouse or through the person we love. The person we love is always a sign pointing us to God, okay? And that desire I, I, that, I, that I have, okay, for Madeline, the desire she has for me, okay, that is a horizontal love that we experience that should be so beautiful, it should be always lifting us upward 
and helping us to see, okay, this is awesome, but we're made for more. Okay, The whole purpose of God making us male and female was to help us understand or get a glimpse on earth of the ultimate marriage we were all made for and that we all desire deep down. Now, what about if you're a consecrated single or a priest as a celibate? Okay, Celibacy is not a rejection of the gift of sexuality. Okay, I love this. When I first heard this, I was like, I think I'm going to become a priest. This is awesome, right? A, a priest, a celibate, a consecrated religious person, okay, they do not reject marriage because they hate sexuality. They don't reject marriage because it is any less holy or sacred, okay, than their other vocation. They simply have understood they were made for the vertical relationship with God, like we all are, like we all are, right? But they understand this and they feel so drawn to pursue this relationship on earth, okay, that they don't reject marriage, but they simply pass over marriage and engage in the ultimate courtship with God right here on earth, okay? And from the smiles on their faces, they're not missing out on anything, are they? Right? <laughs> they are some of the happiest, most beautiful women you're ever going to see. Thank you so much for your witness, right? But it's beautiful. It's, it's not a rejection of sexuality or their erotic desire, okay? They have very strong erotic desire, but they're sending it all towards the God who is love and who they are madly in love with, okay? So whether we're married or celibate or single, um, discerning um, a, a vocation, we must understand that God is the solution to the ache, Okay, and all sexual desire is good, okay, so long as we understand, okay, as mystics should, that sexual desire is good and holy, and that it is a sign that's meant to be pointing us to the marriage and union with God in heaven. Don't stop at the sign, it's a reminder that, sister, that quarter pounder you want, that's great, I'm glad you're hungry, but you're not there yet, keep going, you're almost there, okay? Thank you very much, God bless. That was Simon Carrington with Sexual Desire, A Longing for God from the Restore Weekend in Hobart, Tasmania. And for more talks, interviews and shows, visit cradio.org.au.